in our world, our meaning the world of vast ADHD, whatever we want to call it, our conception of time is not the same as it is for the rest of the world. And we basically have two times in, in our sensorium. There's now and there's not now. So if you say the paper is due uh, next Thursday, not now, and it's just gone. Hi, I'm Nick Ninton, and welcome to Now to Next, the podcast where I interview some of the top experts and professionals all across the globe to talk about what's happening now and what you can expect next. Thanks for tuning in to Now to Next. Make sure you like and subscribe and check out the next episodes. Hey everyone, Nick Nanton here. Welcome back for this episode of Now to Next. I have a what's becoming a frequent collaborator and, and good friend, Dr. Ned Hallowell here. I'm going to give you a brief bio on him and uh, we'll start asking lots of questions about ADHD, which I have lived with for a long time, have understood not for a long time. Uh, so Dr. Ned Hallowell is a board-certified child and adult psychiatrist and world authority on ADHD, a graduate of Harvard College and Tulane Medical School. He was a Harvard Medical School faculty member for 21 years. He is the founder of six Hallowell ADHD centers in the USA. He has spent the past four decades helping thousands of adults and children live happy and productive lives through his strength-based approach to neurodiversity. He has ADHD and dyslexia himself, which we'll talk about. He is a New York Times bestselling author of 20 books, his groundbreaking distraction series, which began with Driven to Distraction, co-authored with his partner, Dr. John Rady, sparked a revolution in the understanding of ADHD. A regular columnist for ADD Attitude magazine, he also hosts the weekly podcast, Distraction, where he sp explores how to implement strategies to turn modern problems into newfound strengths. Dr. Howell has been featured on 2020, 60 Minutes, Oprah Day Show and in Newsweek, USA Today, Times Magazine, and many more. He lives in Boston with his wife, Sue. They have three grown kids, Lucy, Jack, and Tucker. All three of his children also have ADHD. Welcome, Dr. Howell. Thanks for joining me. It's nice to be with you, Nick. It's great to have you. So you have a new book out called ADHD 2.0. Yes. Before we dig into everything else, what's the, why did you, obviously you've written a ton of books. Why 2.0? Why this book? Why now? What do you really want the world to get out of this book? Let me show it to you. Where, where's my camera? There we go. Nice. Isn't that a nice cover? Looks great. <laughs> Looks great. Um, well, it had been, the our our last book about ADD came out in 2005 so it's been 16 years and um a lot new had happened um i also knew that I, I, people don't want a long book so this is the shortest book i've written so i packed all the new stuff into basically 120 pages there's another 40 pages of appendices and whatnot but uh I, I want to really reframe this condition. And so we introduced a new term, VAST. Instead of calling it ADHD, Attention Deficit Hyperactivity Disorder, we're calling it VAST, Variable Attention Stimulus Trait. And, and um, the reason for that is, first of all, ADHD, it sounds horrible. It's just a bunch of syllables that are demeaning, insulting, and inaccurate. There's not a deficit of attention in this condition. 
To the contrary, we have an abundance of attention. I have the condition myself. Um, our challenge is to control it. If it were a deficit of attention, it would be a form of dementia, which it certainly is not. Uh, it, it is a wandering of attention, a, a, a zigzagging of attention, attention hopping all over the place. Uh, but to call it a deficit is completely misleading. Uh, so we call it variable, and everything in this condition is variable, attention, and then stimulus, because our constant search is for stimulus. The way to gain focus is to be stimulated. So we're forever looking for stimulus. So variable attention stimulus trait, not disorder, trait. If you manage it properly, it becomes a tremendous asset. If you don't, it can be a horrible disorder. It can be a curse of the worst order. So, so a, a variable attention stimulus trait, um, not ADHD. And, and it's not only more empowering, uh, but it's also more accurate. So it's not a matter of, of trying to soft sell it or dress it up or put you know, lipstick on a pig at all. I love that. Now, a couple questions that I have. It seems like, is there a proper diagnosis anymore without the H? Is there still just an ADD or is it all ADHD? Oh, technically, in the diagnostic manual, it's ADHD, Attention Deficit Hyperactivity Disorder. But you can have, uh, which I have and I think you have, Nick, uh, Attention Deficit Hyperactivity without the hyperactivity. Uh, so that's called ADHD primarily inattentive. It's still called ADHD. Why it's not called ADD, I don't know, but it's it's still called ADHD primarily inattentive. And then if you also have symptoms, if you also have symptoms of impulsivity, impulsivity and hyperactivity, then it's called ADHD combined type because you have both the uh, uh, inattention and the hyperactivity. So it's either ADHD primarily inattentive or ADHD combined type. Theoretically, you could have ADHD primarily hyperactive impulsive, but that's almost unheard of. I've, I've never seen that. So, so the, the, the inattentive symptoms are almost always present. And then the question is, is, is the H there or not? Got it. Uh, I have it all, Ned. I got it all. I get all the fun hyperactivity and all. Oh, you got all the combined the type. Okay, good for you. I, I got it all. Um, so, and then I've also heard it's it's somewhat of a, uh, I don't know if it's a myth or not. Is ADHD on the same spectrum as autism somewhere? Oh no, no, they're 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 totally different. They can occur together, but the hallmark of autism, the defining element of autism, is difficulty in making reciprocal uh, emotional contact. You know, the autistic child. Uh, can't the mother talking to the autistic child can't get warmth back, and and it's that's what's so hard for the mothers of these kids. Uh, autistic or what used to be called Aspergers, uh, people have trouble making emotional contact. They have trouble engaging with the other person, um, and that's the hallmark of autism. The hallmark of ADHD is just the opposite. We we barge right in. We're making contact <laughs> often where none is wanted. I mean, we're but we we don't struggle. Now we may have trouble with social relationships. That's for sure because we don't read emotional cues. But we are not uh, at a loss for trying to connect with other people. We again, it's the, our problem is controlling it. We are natural connectors. 
but we often do it in a clumsy, intrusive, or uh, unwanted way. And and that that's so again, we have to. My model is uh, we have a race car for a brain with bicycle brakes. So we need help in putting on the brakes. We need help in in exercising control. But it's it's quite different from uh, from the autism spectrum. And and ADHD is also on a spectrum, um, but it's not the one endpoint is not autism. Great, I love dispelling that myth. Uh, thank you for that. So you know, one of the things I love about learning about ADHD is it really, uh, as someone with it, it's empowering. It sort of unlocks uh, it unlocks things for me because I, it's like, oh, okay, that's why I do that, or that's why I feel that way, or here's how to manage that. Um, I love in the book you talk about how people with ADHD uh, they have trouble with time management and a tendency to procrastinate, and there are only two times now and not now tell us about that yeah it it in in our world our meaning the world of vast adhd whatever we want to call it um time is fundamentally different our our conception of time is not the same as it is for the rest of the world and and we we basically have two times in in our sensorium there's now and there's not now. So if you say the the paper is due uh, next Thursday, not now, and it's just gone. It's just it's no longer in our you know our mental uh, uh, framework. And 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 so what happens is until not now is almost now, then in a panic we get it done. Uh, well, what happens in a panic is you put out a lot of adrenaline. Well, adrenaline is chemically very similar to the stimulant medications we use to treat ADHD. So, so essentially what you're doing is you're self-medicating with panic. You're self-medicating with adrenaline by creating situations of panic. And, and that's why procrastination is so, is so common in us. It, we don't get engaged. We don't get focused. We don't get interested until the volume comes up, until the adrenaline comes on. And then then we get panicky, then we, we get it done. But, but it's also why we're drawn to high STEM professions. Uh, entrepreneur, most entrepreneurs have it, you know, a lot of risk, a lot of uncertainty. Uh, surgeons, a lot of surgeons have it. Trial attorneys, the drama of the courtroom uh, helps them focus. What they have trouble with is the paperwork afterward, the surgeon or the trial attorney. Um, uh, traders on the commodities exchange, people in high, high fast-paced creative fields, whether it's journalism or acting or all, all of these areas are, are, are hotbeds of people with, with this trait, with, the, with this condition. Um, so we're, we're constantly searching for stimulation, like I said, adrenaline. And that's why we procrastinate and, and also why we don't have that sense of time. The, you know, the passage of time is boring. You say it's like watching paint dry. We don't do boredom. We can't do boredom. Boredom is our kryptonite. You know, so the minute we're bored, we repel. We're off looking for something more stimulating. You know, if a conversation is boring, we're liable to say something outrageous just to get the party moving, just to get something happening. You know, and and um, that's why the, the Trump years were heaven for people with ADD. We, we may have not liked him, but we loved the fact that he kept us interested, you know, by using, by using uh, you know, outrageous statements. And, oh, can you believe he said that? Can you believe he said that? Then, then we're engaged. We're interested, you know. So, so 
uh, we're always looking for something uh, stimulating. And um, again, there's adaptive ways of creating stimulation and there's maladaptive ways of creating stimulation. And obviously what we want to encourage are the adaptive ways of creating stimulation. Yeah, it's and every every trait, every behavior sort of has a you know a shiny uh, a shiny side and a and a shadow side, right? And so we have to we have to learn for each of us what those look like and how to stay out of the shadow side. One thing I find really interesting with my own experience, I'm sure it's it's everybody. We we find ways like I found ways to to adapt to make my to make sure I could complete the tasks I was supposed to complete. So it's funny. People always say, man, Nick, you respond to my texts, my emails, like so quickly. And it, by the way, it does. I, I work on it because it drives my wife nuts. She's like, you're always responding to people. I'm like, well, if I don't do it now, it's, it's never going to get done. And so we find ways to, you know, to try to healthily combat these. But I remember like in law school, you know, I, our exams were three and a half hours. The, the, Ability to keep my attention for three and a half hours is absolutely zero. It doesn't matter what it is. I mean, it, it could be, you know, stimulation, even if you're stimulated. I mean, golly, you can only be stimulated for maybe 30 minutes at a time before you die out. Right. And so I figured that I just would, I would rush through every test in life. My first law school exam, we had three and a half hours. I finished it in 37 minutes because the only way for me to, focus and get it done was to hyper focus and rush so that I could actually get it done. And I remember one of my friends, when I walked out, my friends all later, like, did you quit? I was like, no, I finished the test. I just did everything <laughs> that I knew how to do. Um, and I'll tell you a funny story. I don't think I've revealed this before. I ended up, I thought I did pretty well on that test. I got a D plus. It was my only D plus in all of law school. I took the same professor again, because I was just convinced he didn't like how quickly I took the test. So I took him again. And by the way, in law school, that's your only grade, that one test only grade for the, the quarter or for that, that semester. So I took it again. The last question on the test, I have no idea what the answer is, but it's an open book test. So I look up this, what I think it is. I find a case in the book. The case was the exact same case that was on the test with the names changed. So I copied the judge's opinion and changed the names and I got an A. So I won in the end, but that professor was trying to stick it to me for doing his test uh, too quickly. Tell me about, about this um, shadow behaviors. What? So first thing, like what are some telltale signs of ADHD, uh, positive and negative? Because I'm sure there's a lot of people who listen to this who maybe have never been formally diagnosed, but would love to know what it looks like and what some of the positive traits are and some of the negative. Well, the, the classic triad uh, that defines the condition, what you'll see in the diagnostic manual and in all the textbooks, uh, what Russell Barkley calls, who's one of the great researchers in the field, the holy trinity of ADD, are distractibility, impulsivity, and hyperactivity. Like I said earlier, on, in the DSM, there's a set of symptoms on the axis of, of inattention or distractibility, and there's a set of symptoms on the axis of hyperactivity and impulsivity. Well, you take each one of those symptoms and turn it on its head, and you get a positive. I, I don't call it the shadow because that's dark. I, I call it the flip side, you know, the, the positive side, the, the advantageous side. And for every disadvantageous symptom, there's a flip side, an advantageous side. So let's look at those three, the three core symptoms of this, of this trait. Distractibility, what's the flip side? What's positive about distractibility? Think about it for a minute. 
It's curiosity. If you didn't care what was going on outside the window, if you didn't care what that noise was coming from the basement, if you didn't care uh, what that person was thinking who looks upset, you wouldn't be distracted. But since we are very curious, since we really want to know what that noise is, what's that, what's going on, we, we are endlessly curious since we are driven by curiosity. Curiosity is the driving force in, in people with ADD or, or one of the major driving forces. That makes us distractible because, you know, no task is endlessly interesting. And, you know, so so the minute curiosity is, what's that, what's that, what's that? And the world is full of stimulation, is full of places we could wonder what's that, you know, and, and, and it is curiosity that drives most of the great discoveries. So you have distractibility on the one hand, but the flip side of curiosity. Now, impulsivity, this is my favorite one. This is what gets us into trouble. We're impulsive, impulsive decisions, impulsive acts, impulsive speaking, uh, we don't think, we speak, and and um, uh, and it gets us into all kinds of trouble. Uh, well, what is the flip side of impulsivity? Is there anything good about being impulsive? Well, think about that for a minute. What is creativity but impulsivity gone right? You don't plan to have a new idea. You don't plan to have an original thought. You don't plan to come up with your eureka moment. They happen spontaneously, disinhibitedly, impulsively. They just pop. They happen in the shower in the morning. They happen in the car on the way home from work. They happen in the middle of a meeting where you're talking about something totally different. That is where creativity happens. It happens impulsively, spontaneously. Uh, it depends upon some amount of disinhibition. Or, or if you're totally buttoned up, you won't be creative. And, you know, the really buttoned up people are not particularly original or creative. And the third element of that, that trinity, hyperactivity, you get to be my age. I recently turned 71. It's called energy, you know, and I'm really glad to have this little turbo pack that sits on my back, you know. And, and, and so, so, so the, my job when I work with patients is to maximize the upside, the curiosity, the creativity, the energy, and minimize the damage done by the downside, the distractibility, the negative impulsivity, and the uh, annoying hyperactivity. And, and that's, uh, that's fortunately uh, a very achievable goal. We have ways of doing that. And the analogy I use, you know, having this condition is like you, you've got a, a Ferrari engine for a brain. You've got a, a, a tremendously powerful engine but you have bicycle brakes. So you don't have the braking power to slow down this runaway train that's going on in your head. Well, good news, I'm a brake specialist. And, um, and uh, you know, I, I can help you devise ways of gaining control over your runaway train. Another analogy I particularly like is, imagine Niagara Falls. Niagara Falls is like the ADD brain. It's a tremendous amount of power. But until you build a hydroelectric plant, it's just a lot of noise and mist going nowhere. When you build a hydroelectric plant, on the other hand, you take all that energy, all that power, and you can light up the state of New York. So I'm a brake specialist. I'm also in the hydroelectric plant business. I help people with these massively powerful brains 
build their hydroelectric plant. And um, it's a wonderful thing to do, you know, and, and uh, uh, because, you know, because these people are very creative and they're very motivated and, and they really want to find, you know, ways of strengthening their brakes or, or building their hydroelectric plant. By the way, the, for adults, the two best ways to do it, marry the right person or hook up with the right person and find the right job. Those are critical. And, and they may seem obvious, but a lot of people are not doing as well in life because they haven't done both of those things. You want to connect with the right person, the person to be your number one teammate, life mate, if you will. And then and then your hydroelectric plant, your job, you know, because, you know, we you want to find the place where you plug your brain in and it lights up and that that can take some looking around before you find it. That's a, a brilliant way to put it. Never heard it that way, but I, I could see how I have great uh, joy in both of those things. And if I didn't, I'm probably not someone you'd want to be around. So totally makes sense. <laughs> you talk about the two mindsets that are key to understanding ADHD. What sort of a common analogy of the angel and the demon? Tell me how you explain that. Well, the the demon is, is really a. Uh, it's it's based on the uh, the the phrase the default mode network, and this is this is fresh out of very cutting edge neuroscience, where we can see on fMRI functional magnetic resonance imaging what your what's going on in your brain when it's engaged in a creative task, when you're painting a picture, uh, building a building, uh, digging a hole. When you're doing something that engages your imagination, and that, by the way, is our great asset, is our imagination. When what lights up then are four different regions in the brain that taken together, they're called the, a connectome. And that particular connectome is called the task positive network, the TPN, the task positive network. Now, when the task is completed, when you finished your writing for the day, I think of that because I write books, or when you finished this podcast, Nick, or when you finished whatever creative activity you're engaged in, that connectome, the TPN, shuts down. Those four different regions of your brain go quiet, and you can see it on the fMRI. They lose the color. They, they go silent. Now, the old thinking was the brain takes a rest after you've spent your imagination on something. Your, imagina your imagination needs to rest. In fact, nothing could be further from the truth. When the TPN shuts down, what lights up is called the default mode network. And in that mode, your brain uses more energy, is more active, uses more glucose, more oxygen than in the TPN, which is counterintuitive, but uh, it's true. And what happens in people with ADD when you're not actively engaged in something positive, when, you're, when your imagination is not building something of value or, or renewing, reviewing something that's important, the DMN, which I call the demon for the following reason, the DMN sends out a string of negativity, of self-criticism, of life criticism, of regret, remorse, guilt, shame, just a stream of negative, horrible stuff. And, and what we do is we focus on that because it's stimulating. You see, contentment is too bland. You don't say he was riveted in contentment. 
but you do say he was riveted in fear, shame, guilt, anxiety. You know, the, 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 it's like watching a horror movie. It's riveting only when it's your own life. It's upsetting as well as being riveting. Um, the, the, and, and it's horrible time. I mean, this is one of the worst things of having ADHD is we're prone to these prolonged periods of rumination, of shame, of guilt, of regret, remorse, uh, uh, just not giving ourselves credit for anything and just sinking into the pits of, of, of just losing perspective altogether and, and just uh, highlighting the negative and, and exaggerating the negative, often creating the negative. It's, it's, so, it's so bad. Well, the solution is not medication. It's not uh, um, it's it's not anything that um, you you need external. It's it's simply to don't feed the demon, and what you feed it with is your attention. You feed it with your attention, so you have to redirect your attention away from the demon. Don't look at the traffic accident as you drive by. Don't look at the traffic accident that the demon turns your life into. Look elsewhere. So just do something else, you know, uh, dig another hole, uh, have another conversation, have a quick burst of exercise, uh, jump up and down, um, uh, you know, call a friend, uh, turn on the TV, blast some music. You got to do something to redirect your attention and you do have control over your attention. The great philosopher Epictetus taught that thousands of years ago. We think of it as cognitive therapy today. No, it's Epictetus' philosophy. And it's not philosophy. It's just life knowledge. The one thing you can control is where you put, where you put your attention. Uh, and, and so don't put it, don't feed the demon with your attention. It sounds simple. It's very hard to uh, perfect because the demon is so seductive. It draws us in. You have to say, get out of here, demon. I don't want you. I'm going to look over there at that beautiful tree, or I'm going to go for a run, or I'm going to write a memo, or I'm going to, you know, bake a cake. I mean, whatever it might happen to be, pursue your creative outlet, but do something. Don't feed the demon. I have several rules in life, and for people with ADD, that's right near the top. Right next to it is my other favorite piece of advice, Never worry alone. So never worry alone. Don't feed the demon. Remember those two, and your life will be your life with ADD will be so much better. Man, when we you did my first podcast I did during the pandemic, which started all this mess with me and Joe Polish and my brother, who's also a psychiatrist. And and I love your advice of never worry alone. When you worry with someone else, it becomes problem solving. And I quote you all the time for that. So if your traffic is spiking on the internet, it's because I talk about it all the time. Now, uh, there's so much cool. No, it's true. It's my... true. If you think about it, when, you, when you're talking with, when you worry with someone, that's problem solving. When you worry alone, that's stewing, that's brooding, that's, you know, it's counterproductive. The, the beauty of uh, Don't Feed the Demon, I love that, is that when you move on to something, the next thing that's right now, you literally just forget about the brooding and the other things. I mean, I brought my oldest son to you, who crazy, just turned 16 a couple weeks ago. When he was seven or eight, we came up to New York City. Um, his favorite advice from you was eat ice cream for breakfast, but we'll talk about that later. <laughs> um, but, you know, he, uh, he reminds me of it all the time still. But he, you know, the thing that was so crazy about him with his ADHD was – when I really realized he had it was when he would get in trouble and I would 
discipline him and I try to ask him what he learned from it. And he had no idea what I was talking about. Like even <laughs> eight minutes later, he, didn't, he could not even remember he had gotten in trouble. And so the beauty of ADHD is if we can get out of feeding the demon, we don't even know we can just move on and just put things in our past and move past it. One of the things I, I love that you talk about, you talk about never worry alone. And that's the power of, of connection. Let's talk about the healing power of connection. And then you have this amazing term, find your right difficult, which I've never mm. heard that way. So let's mm. start with the healing power of connection. W what does that do for those with ADHD? Well, I mean, the healing power of connection helps everybody, but particularly you talk about it with context in ADHD. Well, it's, it's just, it's because disconnection, we're at risk for disconnection. We're at risk for feeling isolated uh, because we're different. Uh, so we're at risk for feeling shame, isolation, fear, remorse, regret. Um, uh, but the solution is is to connect, and um, uh, you know it, it, we're we're living, we're learning the hard way these days how vital connection is. I mean, with with COVID and keeping distance and all that, we've we've had this enforced distance, and and it's it's been terrible. It it, it really. Uh, I call connection the other vitamin C, vitamin connect. And it's at least as important for our well-being as ascorbic acid is. Uh, you know, we really need it. Social isolation, most people don't realize this, but social isolation is as dangerous a risk factor for early death as cigarette smoking. If I ask people, if I ask the audience listening now to name the risk factors for early death, Everyone could name obesity, genetics, high blood pressure, diabetes, uh, cigarette smoking, not wearing your seatbelt. Right at the top of the list is social isolation. It kills people. It kills people. And if it doesn't kill people, it makes them sick. And uh, uh, depression, anxiety, physical illness, all trace back to feeling more alone than is good for you. And we're living in an epidemic of that. Uh, people uh, say, well, there's no one. I live by myself. And I say, get a dog. Dogs are incredible connectors. Dogs can connect with anyone. You can be the grumpiest old man in the world and a dog will make you smile. A dog will love you, you know, and, and it, it doesn't matter who you are. Dogs, dogs are God's messengers. Uh, you know, I, I dedicated this new book to dogs. I said, and it's no accident that dog spelled backwards is God. Uh, you know, uh, dogs are, are the most wonderful connectors. So find connection however you can. Find connection. Uh, you know, it doesn't have to be in person. You can do it over Zoom, You can, like we're doing. You can do it over the telephone. You, you can do it uh, via text and email. The more personal you can make it, the better. So telephone and Zoom are better than text or email. In fact, text or email are easily misunderstood. So when 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 a message has emotion in it, try to do uh, telephone or or Zoom. The, the the power of the other vitamin C is is astonishing, and then and then the other term you mentioned, find the right difficult. Um, I, I've discovered over my many years of working with people with ADD, what they need maybe more than anything other than connection, is a creative outlet. And, and uh, this is what I mean by your right difficult. The creative outlet uh, has to have two elements to it. It has to be challenging and it, has, and, it, and it has to matter to you. You put those two together 
and it becomes your right difficult. It becomes your path to success. In my own case, writing is my right difficult, no pun intended. Uh, writing is certainly difficult. Believe me, it's very difficult. It's harder than golf. Um, and it matters a lot to me. For whatever reason, I'm, I'm cursed with the need to write books. If I, don't have a, if I don't have a book going, I get depressed. So it's my right difficult uh, writing. And, and it absolutely makes me feel fulfilled, even though it's never as good as I want it to be. It, it's never, you know, perfect, just plain isn't. Uh, but it, it fills me full of satisfaction, uh, the act of doing it. And I don't know why that is. But, and if I don't do it, I don't feel right. And most of us with ADD are like this. We, have, we need output of some sort, some creative outlet, maybe a, a garden, maybe a, in your case, your podcast, or it, it may be uh, designing a dress. It may be building a business. For most of us, it's several things. Um, you know, I have other projects I work on besides writing. But, but you know, you, you, those two elements has to be challenging and it has to matter to you. If it's not challenging, you get bored with it. If it doesn't matter to you, there's no motivation to do it. So you put those two together and that's your right difficult. And it's interesting that we, unlike many people, we embrace difficult. We love difficult. We love hard teachers. We love hard courses. We love mountains to scale. Yeah, but it has to be the right one because we hate boring hard teachers. You know, we, we, you know, so, so, but when you get us, when you give us the right challenge, when I was in 12th grade, my 12th grade English teacher in September, I handed in a short story and he handed it back and he said, why don't you turn this into a novel? And I said, holy moly, I knew Exeter was a tough school. I didn't know I had to write a novel, but I took it as a form of flattery because I was the only one he challenged to do that. And by the end of the year, I'd written a novel that won the Senior English Prize, a prize that I've been most proud of my whole life. And it, it, gave, me, it gave me a career. And what it did was, was got me to prove to myself that I could do something I would have thought was impossible. If you told me at the start of 12th grade year I was going to write a novel that year, I would have said, sure, and in my spare time I'll fly to the moon. You know, I thought it was completely impossible. But this teacher, the genius of this teacher, was to, was to present me with the right difficult, with the right challenge. He just instinctively knew I had it in me to do this. And it totally changed my life. I would be a completely different person. He got me to prove to myself I could do something I would have thought was impossible. And I've been doing that forever since. Now, most of those things don't work out, you know, but I've learned that failure and disappointment are just part of the pathway to success. You know, so it doesn't bother me that, you know, that, that I, not everything I try works out perfectly. You know, I don't like it, but, but I keep on going. You know, I persist, and it goes right back to Fred Tremolo, my 12th grade English teacher at, at Exeter, a school up in New Hampshire, that uh, changed my life forever. He instinctively presented me with the right difficult, and I, I took it like a, it was a chemical reaction. We, it was a covalent bond, and it, it just it worked, and it, it changed my life forever. So you, if you have a child or if you have an employee or if you have a self, that you're wondering, are you going anywhere? Are you making progress? Keep looking for the right difficult, because when you hit that, that's your hydroelectric plant. That's your way of taking all the power you've got and lighting up the state of New York. 
this is all in ADHD 2.0, a book you must check out. My final question for you, there's so much more to cover, but I know uh, you have a very busy schedule and I appreciate you spending some time with us. Uh, what's medication versus natural remedies and exercise and other things? Where, what, what should we pay attention to there? Well, we have many tools in the toolbox, which is great, great news. We have many ways of uh, strengthening these breaks. Uh, medication is just one of them. And, um, you, you know, medication, people ask me, do you believe in Ritalin? My answer is it's not a religious principle. You know, it's a, it's a medication. And if it, if it works and doesn't cause side effects, great, use it. If it doesn't work or it does cause side effects, don't use it. It's common sense, but it, the whole issue has been turned into much more than that, which is just hyperbolic exaggeration to, you know, get people's attention. Uh, it really is, is, couldn't be more simple. Stimulant medication helps people about 80% of the time, uh, and 20% of the time it doesn't. It either doesn't work or causes side effects that mean you can't take it. And my standard is I want target symptom improvement, namely improved focus organization with zero side effects, no side effects, no change in personality, no change. The only side effect that I will accept is one that usually does occur. It's appetite suppression, but you have to keep eating because you, you, it's unacceptable to, to lose a lot of weight. That result can be achieved 80% of people who have ADHD. In my own case, it doesn't work, but I do have a medication. It's right here. It's called coffee. And, uh, uh, I medicate every day with, with my coffee, but um, 80% of people's stimulant medication will work and, and work wonders. Uh, but there are many other tools in the toolbox, like finding your right difficult is absolutely a powerful, lifelong tool. Uh, physical exercise, another. Uh, don't feed the demon, another tool. I mean, absolutely. I mean, so we want a, a multiplicity of, of tools, a multiplicity of interventions uh, to, as I like to say, unwrap the gift. I, I don't treat disabilities. I help people unwrap their gifts. And if you approach it right, this condition uh, can become a gift. If you don't approach it right, it can ruin your life. ADHD can destroy your life. You can end up in prison or an addict or killed in an accident. People with ADHD drive through stop signs because they don't see them. You know, So uh, if you don't manage this right, it can destroy you. But if you do manage it right, it can take you to some truly wonderful places. And you have a gift for doing just that. You give profound yet simple common sense advice. You've done it again in ADHD 2.0. Everyone should read this. There's a whole other discussion I'm going to hit you up about. I'm working on a documentary on subliteracy and dyslexia. So we will have another conversation uh, for that. I have that too, the you know, I, have, I have dyslexia as well. I know. So we're going to, we're going to talk about that in front of another kind of camera. I'm going to get you for that documentary. So uh, Dr. Hallowell, thank you so much for joining me. I hope you guys have all enjoyed this episode of now to next pick up ADHD 2.0 and all the other books uh, by Dr. Hallowell. Check out his podcast, listen to anything he says I do. And uh, thanks for joining me, Dr. Ned. Thank you so much. Nick. Thanks for tuning in to now to next. Make sure you like and subscribe and check out the next episodes.